Thank you, Ron. Thank you, one, two, three, four, five, six. There we go. Since I was counting, just turn your paper over where it's blank and number it one to ten. And No, I'm just kidding. All right. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, my wife Becky's right here. Uh, we are native Mississippians from uh, the beautiful, beautiful town of Natchez. You're looking for a vacation spot. It's a beautiful uh, place. Uh, we've known each other since high school. We married in undergraduate school and uh, moved to uh, from the University of Southern Mississippi, Joe, right? Hattiesburg, Brett Favre's uh, alma mater. And uh, we moved to Lafayette, Louisiana, where I began working in the oil industry. Becky is a retired high school choir teacher. Our first child was born there uh, in Lafayette, Ashley. She lives in McKinney with her husband and three grandchildren, our three of our grandchildren, you know. And um, we were members of First Baptist Church of Lafayette. Uh, I was ordained a deacon at 22 and uh, taught Sunday school and was just minding my own business. You ever been there? And God said, I want you to go to seminary at 28 years old. And I uh, told God, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and um, if you read Jonah, that's me, you know, for about the first two chapters, you know, Jonah. But God was very patient, and uh, I ended up leaving the oil industry. We moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and I started another career. Got back in church, made up with God, and uh, one day I told God, okay, I'll do it. If it's to volunteer for the rest of my life or if it's to... To go to seminary, I'll do it. And I had this peace, you know, much like many of us had when we first accepted Christ as our Savior. My mother led me to Christ when I was nine, by the way, in our home. And I started uh, working in a nonprofit. I worked for a missionary agency. And then the, the church we were members of asked me to come on staff. And so the journey began. And so, in, um, so primarily, I've been a Minister of Education, y'all know what that is, right? Remember that, remember that old title? But the business, I ran all the business functions for us, Ohio, Standard Oil of Ohio for the Gulf of Mexico. That's what I did in my career. And so that's always followed me. In um, uh, November of 2016, I retired, and I'm now working in a non-Southern Baptist church as a director of finance where they don't want you to be a member, which suits me just fine. So... Uh, we, we belong here. We, we joined last August. So, uh, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 or your app. And this is the third in the series, uh, Difficult Questions Every Christian Should Be Able to Answer. Now, if I ask you a question, it's okay to answer, okay? All right, this means yes. All right, this means no, all right? So, uh, am I, I'm ready to go, I think, if I can operate this. Do I point it here, Randy? Oh, all right. Uh, agree or disagree with this statement? It's dumb to be a Christian because Christians are all weak, weird, or, or crazy. Do you agree or disagree with that? How many disagree with that? How many agree with it? All right, now, I mean, let's be honest. There are some Christians that are weak, 
and are weird and are crazy. In fact, when I was ordained into the gospel ministry, I, I chose April 1st to be ordained so I could be like Paul, a fool for Christ. All right? Now, Jesus, though, calls us not to a spirit, a spirit of timidity, not to be wimpy Christians, but power, love, and self-discipline. There's a scripture reference, 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 8. So he, Jesus calls us to action, to suffer for the things that he wants us to do. Now, how many people would be willing to die for a belief in Christianity that isn't true? I don't know of anybody that would be willing to die for something that's not true. And many things seem weird and crazy until you get a grasp of, of them. Like new math. You remember taking new math? Didn't make any sense until you got the hang, the hang of it. Or trying to learn a foreign language. You know, Those are some things that seem uh, difficult. But are those who reject Christianity open-minded enough to really understand it? All right, number next. It's dumb to believe in the Bible when I went too far. It's dumb, dumb to believe in God. After all, you can't see him. Do you agree or disagree? You disagree. How many of you disagree with that? All right. Anybody agree with that? All right. Now, of course, of course you can't see God, right? You can't see God. That's no surprise to God. But as Paul wrote in Romans 1, 18 through 20, people have no excuse for not believing in God just because they can't see him. That's because God's whole creation is all around us. And Somebody must have designed this for it to be as beautiful as it is, all right? Here's the next one. It's dumb to believe in the Bible when evolution shows that God didn't create the world. Agree or disagree? Disagree? Who's, who's not voting? All right. Now, evolution doesn't, doesn't show that God didn't create the world. The theory of evolution is changing all the time trying to explain, for example, why there's so little fossil evidence to come up with all of these years of how old the earth was supposed to be. As Job was reminded, you know, God was the only one around when the world was created. So, our theories today are only guesses because science is never complete because it's always learning new facts. But God knew the whole story when he inspired the Bible. When it comes to science... And the Bible agreeing it's just a matter of time for science to catch up with what God had intended. When you look at all the things that uh, can be easily tr proven true today from, from prophecies and archaeological discoveries, it's almost difficult to believe that, it's, dif it's difficult not to believe in God's word. Right, now let's look, at the, uh, let's look at the Bible study. Genesis chapter 1. Now the purpose of this study is to consider the greatness of the Creator and the magnificence of His creation. Have you ever been um, Have you ever been involved in a discussion about creation before? Yeah. Okay. Do you ever wonder why the first chapter of Genesis creates so much controversy? Do you ever wonder about that? I think this is going to help you understand the author's purpose in writing and what his message taught Israel about, about God, his creation and a special place in the natural world. It'll also help you to consider how this is relevant for today. Because Genesis chapter 1 is reporting things 
as they appear to the average person without trying to explain them. And the emphasis you'll see is, is on the who and the why, the creator and his purposes in creation. So Genesis chapter 1, let's begin at verse 1. And I have my, uh, my Holman Bible. I think it's uh, pretty close to the ESV. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. Evening came, and then morning the first day. Verse 6, then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And, so, and it was so. And God called the expanse sky. Evening came and then morning the second day. Verse 9. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and he called the gathering of the water seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning the third day. Verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for festivals and days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to have dominion over the day and the lesser light to have dominion over the night as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth to dominate the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the fourth day. Then God said, Let the water swarm with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, above the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water, according to their kinds. He also created every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So God blessed them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, and then morning, the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock of the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth 
and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This food will be for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Evening came, and then morning the sixth day, chapter 2. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. By the seventh day, the Lord completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from his work of creation. And may God bless the reading of his word. So you see there's some, there's some words and phrases that are repeated. Now some people call the President of the United States the most powerful person in the world. And presidents will frequently speak, and they will write executive orders. But unfortunately, not everybody listens to what the presidents have to say, and not everybody obeys the orders that the president gives, gives down. However, notice in Scripture, when God spoke, something happened. When you consider the acts of God in Genesis chapter 1, you know, you can't help but bow in reverent worship, realizing that this was a creative God that gave his power and his wisdom that carries this, this authority. Now look at, look at verses 1 and 2, and look, look at how the earth appears from the very beginning. The Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now this is a dateless past when God brought into existence the universe out of nothing. Chapter uh, 1, verses 1 and 2, it's the declaration that God created the universe. And he's going to give us a detailed explanation over six days of actually what took place. Now, if you like to count 32 times in chapter 1, the creative God is called Elohim, okay? We don't see the word Yahweh or uh, more commonly Jehovah until uh, chapter 2, verse 4. Now, Elohim is the plural noun which leads us to have confirmation that there were three there at the very beginning, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So Elohim reveals that by speaking, he created the heavens and the earth. Now, um, I was 35 when I started my master's, and uh, the classes were very large, about, about like this. And the professors, you would be pleased to know in the Baptist seminaries, they begin class with a devotional. You'd be glad to know that, wouldn't you? Okay. And so the professor this particular day chose Genesis chapter 1 as the devotional thought. And so he's waxing eloquently and rhetorically he says, he asked this question, I wonder what language God was speaking. It says God spoke. I wonder what language he was speaking. And from the back of the room, a young man said, well, it was King James that he was speaking. <laughs> but God simply spoke and all of this came into being. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us why did God choose to start his creative work with this massive chaos. It doesn't tell us. Because, but it does tell us that the earth was dark, it was formless, it was empty. But the Holy Spirit is moving over the waters, and the Holy Spirit is, is the one that's going to bring uh, order out of this chaos and beauty that we now see from this emptiness. You know, he can still do, God can still do that today. You know, how many times have you seen God create beautiful things and, and create order out of the chaos that's going in your very own lives? He does it all the time. 
But see, God alone created all of these things, right? Now look at the, look at the creative commands during these first three days. Now there's a pattern to this. First, notice that uh, God formed and then he filled. He made three spaces. He made the heavens, number one. He made the land. And then number three, he made the water. And he filled all of these with the appropriate forms of life. All right, verses 3 through 5 is day one. So God commanded the light to shine and then separated the light from the darkness. Now, the, it's a good thing to, to, to realize that the light came from God because God is light. You know, Jesus is the light of the world. Okay? Life as we know it today can exist, cannot exist without the sun. And in Scripture, light is also, you know this, it's associated with Jesus Christ. So from the very first day, God creates the principle of separation. Notice not only did he separate the light from the darkness, the day from the night, but he later is he going to separate the waters above the waters and the waters beneath the waters and the land from the waters. Now, through Moses, God commanded the Israelites to remain separated from all of these nations that they were going to be neighbors with. And you know what happened. They didn't. They intermingled with them and adopted their, their practices. Just think if, if, if the children of Israel had listened to this creative work and had modeled this the rest of their life, they might not have been easily as influenced by their neighbors. So since God is the creator, and God's going to appreciate me saying this, he's got the right to name it whatever he wants to name it, right? All right? So he says there's day and night. Now the word day, we're going to come back to that in just a second, but the, day can, the word day can refer to a portion of time. It could refer to a portion of time when the sun is visible, or it can refer to the whole period. We're going we're to talk about that a little bit more. It could refer to 24 hours. It could refer to evening and morning. All right, day two, verses uh, six through eight. Notice that God put space between the upper waters and the lower waters and made heaven, what we know today as the sky. When he separated when separated from the land, the lower waters eventually became known as the ocean and the seas, and then there was a mist in, in the sky. All right, day three, verses 9 through 13. Notice that God gathered the waters and caused the dry land to appear, making the earth and the seas. Now, do you notice the first time in these verses, 9 through 13, the word good? God said it was good. That's the first time that that's mentioned. Now God causes the plant life to appear, the grasses, the seed-producing herbs, the fruit-bearing trees. And he noticed that God also decreed that each kind was going to reproduce after its kind. So there's no suggestion of evolution here in the account of Scripture. God was preparing the earth for habitation by people. By people. And the plants were going to be the source of food. And this is a second time in verse 12 that God, notice, he says it was good. All right? Let's move on. So now we have uh, three special spaces, land, seas, and the space of the sky. Day four, verses uh, 14 through 19. Notice that in the space of the sky, God placed heavenly bodies and assigned them uh, to do their work to divide the day and the night and provide signs for marks of the season. Now, the, the Israelites depended upon the change of the seasons to know when the Sabbath began and when the Sabbath ended. They depended on the, the changing of the seasons to know when the feast 
would occur. If you, uh, if you study uh, early uh, naval uh, activities, you know, the sailors depended on the stars to guide them before we had uh, our GPS uh, available to us. All right, day five, verses 20 through 23. So God created the skies and the waters, and now he fills them abundantly with living creatures. He made birds to fly in the sky and fish and other sea animals to live in the, in the sea. Now here's something else that occurs for the very first time. It's the word bless. He not only calls the work good, but it says he blessed it. That's the first time the word bless is used in Scripture. So, do you see how God's work is um, good? Do you see how work, God's work is good? So, now we have order. So, let's look at the days of Genesis 1. I told you I'd come back to this. So, the meaning of day has created a lot of discussion, all right? So, I'm going to give you four viewpoints, all right? The first one is um, each day has an evening and a morning. There's a 24-hour period. So, when, God, when the Bible says it was day one, you can consider that to be a 24-hour period. Now, what's the problem with, with uh, saying that it was a literal 24-hour period? The problem is that you can't have, you don't find enough geological evidence to back up a 24-hour period. All right, here's a second point. They could represent a longer period of time, which can be correlated to, to uh, geological terms. Now, the problem with that is because when you try to tie that to modern science, you, you start getting things that change. You know, for example, that rock that used to be 500 million years old, they're now saying is only 200 million years old. All right. By the way, you know how they have a, a Christian friend that's a geologist? And when you drill a well, you know, you're drilling into different formations. All right. So this Christian geologist says, we hit this particular sand that we were looking for, all right? Whether it produces oil or not, a geological success is if they hit the particular sand that they thought was several thousand feet deep, all right? But being, being a money guy, I always say, well, where's, where's the oil, you know? But the geological success, success is if they hit the particular sand, all right? So he said, that particular rock formation is a million years old. He said, do you know how we, do you know how we as geologists come up with that decision that it's a million years old? He said, I've always wondered that. He said, it's based on the fossils that we find embedded in the rocks. And so I just kind of looked at him and he said, so you probably want, you're probably about to ask me, how do you know how old the fossils are? And I said, that's exactly what I'm going to ask you. He said, well, we know how old the fossils are by the rocks that we find them in. <laughs> so it's, it's a circular argument. It's a circular argument. So it's like Mark talked about last week with the Bible. If you're going to use your Bible, and, and I think you should as an argument uh, to, with non-believers, you know, they're going to contest it. Like, how do you know the Bible is true? All right? How many of you know Alexander the Great? You, you know about him, right? I don't think anybody in here has ever met him. It's like, it's like the late President Reagan said, you know, Abraham Lincoln was a good friend of his, you know. I mean, we, we don't know Alexander the Great. All right, so you know some facts about Alexander the Great, right? You know, I'm not going to test you on it or anything like that. Well, how do you know about Alexander the Great? You read it, right? You read it. 
All right? The first biography of Alexander the Great was written 300 years after his death. 300 years after his death. The first biography of Christ was written 30 years after his crucifixion and resurrection. So if you're going to take literature, you have to put literature under the same, same standard. Okay? So it could be a 24-hour period. It could be a longer period. Number three, it could mean it's a literary sequence. In other words, the significance of the days has to do with six and one. There's six, six days that you do work, and there's one day that you rest. That's another um, belief about the day, about what the day means. And the fourth one is that each vision displays one creative aspect of God's work. So, you know, don't get bogged down on that because what does it say? Uh, an hour with God is like a day, and a day with God is like an hour. I mean, how many of you have prayed, you know, God, I want you to help me, and I want you to help me right now, and it doesn't happen, does it? All right? So don't get hung up on that. If you recall, the, uh, when the Apollo uh, mission was uh, in action in the 60s trying to get a man on the moon, that they had to figure out these calculations of how the rocket is going to miss all of these asteroids and, and stars and, and actually get to the moon. And so these scientists who are a whole lot smarter than me are doing their calculations and they come up with a day missing. You ever heard that story? They have a day missing. And so one of the engineers said, I remember in Sunday school this story about the Israelites were fighting and they prayed that God would let the sun stand still until they could finish their battle. You remember the story? And so there, there was the missing day. So, you know, last time I checked, that's a 24-hour period. So I think if God could, I think if God wanted to create something in 24 hours, you believe he could do it? That's exactly right. So we have all of this going on, and then it's time, where are we, to create man, all right? So the Bible says that man was created from the dust of the ground. Now, I have a good friend that's a funeral home director in Mississippi, and um, he, he told me about this young couple that got married. You know the Hatfields and the McCoys, you know that story where they, the, the families are always feuding with one another? This was that type of relationship, but this boy and this girl really loved each other. And so they get married much to the objections of their parents. Well, everything was going fine until about three years later, the young groom is tragically killed, all right? So it comes time to bury him. So the, the, his widow wanted to bury him in her family cemetery. His parents, who are still alive, wanted to bury him in their cemetery. Well, the parents won, all right? So the young man's buried in, their parents, in his parents' cemetery. 20 years later, both of his parents are dead. So the, the widow goes to the funeral home director and says, dig him up and move him to my family's cemetery. Now, that's 20 years, okay? So, you know, I'm intrigued by this. I said, well, what did you find? And he said, dirt. You know, what did you do? And he said, I took a shovel of dirt, put it in a new casket and sold it to her and buried it, you know? <laughs> so, you know, Dust to death is, you know, I've seen that come true, you know. And you think about, you know, when, when, the, when the end times comes, you know, it says our bodies will be reunited, you know, from the grave with, 
with our body, our heavenly body in heaven. And you think about people in the World Trade Center, and you think about um, our military men and women who you know, just get blown to bits. And you know, how's God going to do all of that? You know, well, this is the God that created the earth, and I think if He wants to put a bunch of dust back together and make it a body, He can certainly do that. Now, Adam means literally taken from the ground, and there have been people that have debated. You know, like this wasn't really one guy. This, you know, this represents all human beings. I believe it was one guy, Adam. God called him Adam, and he married Eve. Now, notice that man was given uh, orders to have uh, dominion over the earth, and I have no idea where I am. So if I miss a slide, just yell it out and say, hey, change the slides, okay? But this creator deserves our worship and our praise, all right? And so I think that's what we, what we ought to be concentrating on here. When you bow your heads to thank God for the food that you're about to, to receive, notice that you're also should, we also should be thanking God for giving us the sun and the rain and, and everything that, that we have to, to, uh, to give us this beautiful earth. And we must be good stewards of the creation. That means that we've got to respect each other and we've got to appreciate the gifts. Now look at, the, uh, look at the last few verses of chapter 1, 28 through 31. Notice that God gave special provisions to man and woman. He says, I want you to rule over it. To rule over it means to have authority and control over it. Now ultimately, God's in charge, right? But he's given us temporary custody of what we have here on earth. Notice that God, again, says it was good. So if there are times in your life that you feel worthless... Go back to the creation story because everything that God created was good. Now, there's, I want you to just take a minute in your Bible and let's turn to the passages that deal with evolution. Ready? Let's go. Why, why are y'all laughing? Why are you laughing? Oh, there aren't any. There aren't any, Okay. So, seeing that there are none, you know, we could uh, have a prayer and go home. But you paid for an hour, and I want to make sure that you get your hour's worth. You know, when I was on church staff, I was paid to be good. You know, church staff members are paid to be good. But now I'm a volunteer, I'm good for nothing. <laughs> See? Now, the theory of evolution is based on the idea that all species are related and gradually change over time. So, everything was fine until about the 17th century, okay? And the 17th century, uh, people generally accepted the biblical count of creation, but they could only come up with about 6,000 years. Now, you, you know the Jewish calendar is year 5,000 and something, right? You know that, right? Yeah, so... If you, if you go through and add, you know, how old was Methuselah and how old was this guy and how old was this guy, you know, and you can only come up with about 6,000 years since uh, creation happened. In the 18th century, scientists had begun to accept the ideas of evolution and change and had considerably extended the age of the planet beyond 6,000 years. And so this long fight began to ensue between the religious side and those who really questioned the, 
how the whole universe got together. So creation may not have taken place in time since there was no time prior to the existence of the world. But Augustine, who was an early Christ follower and theologian, was in no doubt right when he said that the world was not made in time, but with time. Because time itself is a creation. I mean, how did we get time? God created it. All right. So to say that God created in time is to make, make time appear independent from God or God dependent on time. Now, I'm just going to say this. If you, if you come across somebody that doesn't believe in the Bible, but they believe in the stuff that I'm about to tell you, you know, uh, this stuff is just, it, it blows your mind to think what people think about, you know. But we have to love everybody, and so let's listen, let's listen to the argument. So there's seven origins of life, all right? So... Scientists believe that, that Earth began 3 billion years ago. Now, how many, how many different numbers have I thrown out since I've been talking? You know, they're all over the place, okay? But scientists believe that, that everything got here by, by evolving from the most basic of, of molecules into this uh, dazzling complexity over time. The question that I want to ask is, but how did those molecules get here in the first place? Well, the first one, here's, uh, I, I think I gave you a fill in the blank, didn't I? The number one, okay. The first one is it started with an electric spark. That's, that's one origin of life, is that there was this electric spark that created all of this. Now, I know what you're thinking. What are you thinking? Where'd the lightning come from, right? All right. So, scientists tell tell us that if you generate enough electricity over um, amino acids and sugar, and you have water and, and methane and, and all of these other stuff, is that you can you can start creating some building blocks. Okay. I've never seen that done, but that's what scientists say. So, over millions of years, these complex molecules could could form. All right. Number two is molecules of life met on clay. Now, you, you have, a, um, you have a, uh, molecules of life met on clay, all right? So you have a watch. You have a watch. My daughter gave me this smart watch, and boy, I tell you, it's smart, you know? It tells me when to stand and when to walk and how far I've walked and everything like that. It's a pretty amazing invention, isn't it, the, the watch, all right? But now just hold your hand like this. Hold your hand like this. Now do this. Just wiggle your fingers, all right? Somebody really smart created the watch. But you know, right now, as you're wiggling your fingers, there are signals being sent to your brain telling your fingers to wiggle. All right? So somebody smart created this watch. But think about the higher power, the smart guy, his name is Elohim, who created the hand. Think you have more bones in your hand than any other part of your body, right? You ever broken your hand? You ever broken a finger? It hurts. It hurts a lot. So... Molecules of life might have met and started to grow. Number three, life began at deep sea vents. So there's, there's these high hydrothermal vents in the ocean floor that are creating life. All right? 
Number four is life had a chilly start. So it had a chilly start. So again, three billion years ago, scientists say that ice covered the earth. I'd like some of that ice right now, you know. And the sun was about as third less luminous as it is now, or bright, all right? I can tell you one thing for sure that I've observed. The only thing today that's evolving is the opinions of politicians, you know. That's the only thing I think that's evolving. But under the water, all of this stuff began to, to form and create. And, and there's, a, there's a, a politician that was in the news last week uh, claiming that the diseases of the earth are embedded under the ice, all right? Number five, it lies, the creation lies in understanding DNA. So DNA needs proteins to form. Proteins require DNA to form. I'm going to say that again. DNA needs proteins to form, and proteins require DNA. See, we're, we're circling again. We're circling again. And the scientists also say there's something called RNA, and I have no idea what RNA is, but they're saying RNA goes with the DNA to help create life. Number six, life had simple beginnings. Okay, now we're getting somewhere, okay? Life had simple beginnings. Life might have begun with smaller molecules interacting with each other, and over time, these smaller molecules became more complex, and a creation was born. Are there any Star Wars fans here? Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you see in the news that they've discovered the planet where Darth Vader was born? Did you see that? Yeah, they discovered the planet where Darth Vader is born. And I'm going, what, isn't that a fictional character? You know? Yeah. Okay, number seven is life came from outer space. Oh, yeah. Okay, so life came from outer space. Perhaps life didn't begin on Earth after all, but the Martians, you know, came to Earth. This is... This is Serious stuff that they believe. The Martians came to Earth, and um, I guess that kind of affects our di diversity argument, you know, you know, that we're all Martians, you know. Um, but Earth began sometime on space. Now, I'm going to give you a theological answer to why that's not true. You ready? Because if life was on other planets, Jesus would have had to have died for them too. Oh, and if you thought that was really weird, scientists admit that they don't, they don't even have a good definition of life. Okay? So, modern science accepts the theory of uh, evolution. Darwin, who started all of this stuff, gave the hypothesis to a character that had never had been, been developed before. But since Darwin's day, the application of evolution has been unlimited. So, from the organic to the inorganic, the world was created um, evolution is a scientific and philosophical theory designed to explain the origin and course of all things in the universe. Now, there are two striking proofs of evolution. And the first, scientists will say, is based on the fact that in the strata of the Earth, this is the rock formations, there are simpler forms that were deposited earlier, and then the more complex rock formations were deposited later. And again, I go back to the Christian geologists, you know, my friend. This fact, fact points to that they believe that the earth grew from, from, uh, 
from simpler life to more complex life. The second uh, observation that evolution, evolutionists make is that each individual of these, uh, each, each individual, us, were created in an uh, embryo-type form from a very simple living cell. Okay? Now, if you ever thought the Bible was hard to understand, I have just proven you wrong. Okay? Because the Bible simply says what? God did it. God did it. So here's some, here's some uh, quotes from some evolutionists. Now look, at your, look at your paper. The difference of opinion among scientists on this point seems to be great. While Darwin himself uncompromisingly held to the belief that humans ascended from monkeys and apes, several of his followers reject that line of descent altogether. Okay? So the evolutionists don't agree. Others, are, as advocating a different ancestry for man, acknowledges, though reluctantly, that the line of descent disappears in the darkness of the ancestry of the mammals and inclined, is inclined to admit that man has arisen independently. So what's that saying? Is that man didn't, some evolutionists believe that man didn't, that we didn't descend from apes, but that we came into being independently. Maybe by God? All right. Psychologically speaking, man is similar to, yet vastly different from the animals. I mean, there's some obvious difference between man and animals, right? Right? You know, um, morality. There's a difference, you know, we have morality. Animals don't have morality. Freedom of choice between good and evil, we have, we have that that the animals don't have. When God said he created man in the image of God, that, that refers to a conscience or a soul. Animals don't have that. So man stands apart in a kingdom by himself and intricately different from the apes. Strong supporters of Darwinism discards the theory that man's entire nature and all of his faculties, moral, intellectual, spiritual, have been derived from the rudiments of lower animals. So here they're disagreeing with the premise that Darwin had in place. So what can you say today? Evolution apparently is undergoing a great change. The very existence of a Bible is based on the idea, the idea that man is, some, is of some consequence to the Creator. We were not an afterthought. The reason that God waited till day six to create us was not... He had a, more important things to do, all right? If you're a woman, realize you, you, need to re, you need to remember that he created you last, all right? So he did save the best for last, right? <laughs> so the very existence of the Bible is based on the fact that we're not, a, we're not of some consequence. By the way, you know, um, you, 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 I want to make sure that you get um, some Hebrew tonight so you won't feel slighted, Okay. But you know when, when Adam first saw Eve, what's the Bible say? That's the Hebrew word, yeah. It's, the Bible says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, but in Hebrew it really means wow. Yeah, 
Exactly right. Exactly right. He says, God says, let us make man in our image after our, like, after our likeness, followed by the statement, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, male and female created them. And it's, commonly in, it's, it's now commonly accepted, unfortunately, in scientific circles that human beings are the result of millions of years of evolution. So your science book today says beginning as a one-celled animal. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God made man in, in his own image. So as the Christian student and, and us as well, there's the conflict of what science says and what the Bible says. Were we, as Genesis 1 and 2 state, created by some special divine creation? Or were we, as the contemporary educators want us to believe, evolved from nothing from a one-celled creature into what we are today? And there's a, there's a great dilemma. And many young people feel an uneasy tension about those things. In fact, there's a third viewpoint that God, this was just a laboratory that God was using six days to, for this experiment. The spiritual authorities, though, our pastor, our, our student pastor, you know, when your grandchildren and children go to camp and they're confronted with all of this, and then they have to go into the school system and they're confronted by biology, biology teachers, they're going to be in the minority unfortunately, because the overwhelming majority of people today are moving away from God. First and foremost, human beings, like the rest of the universe, are God's creation. And the Bible states it in the, in the clearest of terms, simply something from nothing came into being. Now, how could something from nothing come into being without God? By chance? Was it um, sci scientifically possible for something from nothing to come into being? So we're, as Christians, we're left with the alternative, God did it. Okay? God did it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. For me, that sums it up. And there's one bedrock fact. And that is that God created us in his own image. Exactly how he did that remains a matter of faith, open to investigation by scientific inquiry. So my encouragement for you today is to, is to take the creation and realize that God did a remarkable work ever how many years ago it was, and he's still doing that today. So... I have eight minutes, and I'll take any questions or comments that you might have. Yes, sir. From good to you by way of the zoo. All right, the book shows how it, it refutes the argument of evolution. Yeah, yeah, good. 
All right. Good. Yes, sir. would say leading that person to Christ. There's some arguments you're not going to win, right? I always go back to my faith. And faith is, yeah. Sure. It's like the Apostle Paul said in court, my hope is that one day you too will become a Christian. You know, I would keep going back, you know going back to this is my faith this is what I believe in you know and because because they can't they can't prove it any other way they can't prove the argument either you see they can't prove it you know sure you ever um 
when I do mission work, I go to the Navajo Nation in uh, New Mexico. And uh, so the, the pastor and I were talking, and uh, this Navajo guy walks up. And uh, he was a code talker in World War II. You saw the, you know, the, the Navajos were speaking Navajo, so the Japanese couldn't break the code, and that was very successful in the South Pacific uh, battle, you know. And so if you've seen that film, uh, Wind Talkers, with uh, Nicolas Cage, one of the characters in the film, who's a Navajo, poses as a Japanese soldier to get behind enemy lines. And it says, I'm looking at this Navajo man. He has these very high cheekbones and, and slanted eyes. And I said to the pastor, I said, well, he looks, you know, I said it kind of soft. I said, he looks Asian me you know I can see in the film how they they, they put that in the film where this uh, Navajo code talker goes behind enemy lines poses the Japanese and he said you know they've done the DNA testing and that there are traces in the Navajo that can be related to Asians so did they walk across from Siberia over the over the ice into Alaska and down and he said, but don't tell the Navajo that you believe that because they believe they were here first. Navajo, Navajo uh, language is very close to uh, the foreign language. Yes. And yeah. in Bible college years ago, I saw an Eskimo man named Boyd that grew up in Eskimo land, Alaska, conversing with someone from the Oriental. What did the old preacher say from Arkansas? God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Let me pray us out here. Father, thank you for your word, how it comforts and gives us confidence every day. And God, we know that at times we face difficult times when we're having to defend our faith, but we're confident that when that time, when that time comes, that the Holy Spirit will come upon us and give us the words to say. Bless us as we go home to our homes today, as we go about our duties. We continue to pray for this church that it's a beacon of hope to all those who...